0: Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. CHAPTER Twenty Eight. Nicole sat in the passenger seat of her GTO. She extended her right arm out of the window and felt the wind whip past her, caressing her arm. The breeze was warm on her face, and it tickled its way through her hair. She felt relaxed, confident, hopeful. They had raided the all and were well supplied for a while. She let herself enjoy the ride. Next to her, driving, was Sam. Back at the Almart, when Nicole told him he could drive, he had searched the shelves in the automotive section for a pair of fingerless driving gloves. Not finding any, he got a pair from the garden center and cut off the fingers. He wore them as he held the wheel and stared out down the road. The big engine purred. Sam dreamed of leather-clad apocalyptic warriors Cruising across the barren land. Nicole looked over at the speedometer. Sam was inching up past 80. All right, Max, he's up there. I doubt Walt's bus can keep up, she said. Sam awoke from his daydream and looked down at the speedometer. Sorry, sorry, he said. He looked in the rear view and saw that the bus was a pinprick in the mirror. Its headlights flashed on and off as Walt tried to get Sam's attention. "'Shit! Sorry!' he said again, slowing the big car down. As the sun began to set, they came up on an exit that had a campground. Nicole looked over at Sam. "'We should stop for the night. Turn in here,' she said. Sam nodded and headed for the exit ramp. Nicole leaned out her window and signaled Walt. He flashed his lights in understanding, and followed. They cruised through the campground. There were several campers and motorhomes parked on concrete pads. Many were still connected to water and electric. They parked their vehicles on the circle in front of the office, side by side, with the front of their vehicles pointed out toward the exit. Everyone got out and stretched. This seems as good a place as any to stop, I figure. We need to walk the camp, though. We don't want any surprises. No splitting up. We encounter any dead, close in, shoulder to shoulder in a circle, with your back to the inside, okay? We don't get caught unawares, and we don't get separated, Nicole said. She reached in the GTO and retrieved a satchel with a long strap. Jordan, until we get you qualified on the rifle and pistol, you're a reloader, okay? Nicole said. She handed Jordan the satchel, three boxes of ammo, and three full magazines. You'll stand in the center of the circle, dump those extra rounds in the satchel, and reload the empties we hand you. Got it? Nicole said. Jordan nodded as she slung the satchel over her shoulder. Good girl. Okay. Let's check it out. Nicole said. With their rifles at the ready, they moved out. An hour later, They had swept through the entire campground and found it was completely abandoned. They returned to their vehicles and began to unpack for the night. Nicole looked at the circular driveway in front of the office. The center of the circle was grass. Rather than get too far from the vehicles, I think we should just stay right here. I know we cleared the grounds, but if we have to leave, we don't want to have to run too far, you know? Nicole said. Everyone agreed and began to set up in the grassy circle. With full stomachs, they reclined around the circle. Jordan had begged for a campfire, and it had finally been agreed that a small fire would not attract too much attention, shielded as it was by their bodies and the parked vehicles. The tiny flame cast its warm glow across contented faces. With the relaxed feeling of satiated hunger and the hypnotic dancing flames licking through kindling, They were all lost in their own thoughts. Walt rose without saying a word and went to his bus. All eyes turned to him, but did not question where he was going. A minute later, he returned and took his seat again by the fire. In his hands was a guitar. "'I didn't know you played, Walt,' Sam said. "'Oh, yeah, man. I taught myself, you know,' Walt said. Everyone looked at Walt and remained silent, As he readied himself, Walt plucked the strings and tuned the guitar for a while. When he got it where he wanted, he cleared his throat. throat) Today was a good day for us. We got out of that place, got us some supplies, we got us a place to go, and we got each other, man, he said. Walt looked around at the group. His goofy smile was contagious, and they all smiled back. Times are tough. But today was a good day. I want to play a song, man. It's called Buckets of Rain, he said. Walt began to play. The music was soft and low and had a soothing rhythm. The words told of the troubles that came into life. The blessings, too. He sang of the joy that two people in love can share and the little things about each that can make them love each other more. He sang of the preciousness of life and loss and the simple truths of companionship, doing what must be done when the time came. As his fingers danced across the strings, the others bobbed their heads and stared into the fire. Not forgotten was the death and ruin all around, but the words comforted them with the assurance of hope and love within every storm. Billy and Jordan looked at each other. In the gathering dark, broken only by the light of the fire playing across their faces, Billy quietly slipped his hand into Jordan's. He smiled deep within himself when he felt her squeeze his hand gently in return. They smiled at each other, then were lost again in the fire as Walt softly finished. The final notes seemed to hang in the air for a moment before drifting off on the cool evening breeze. Walt cradled the guitar and nodded, smiling. That was beautiful, Walt. Did you write that? Paul said. Walt shook his head. Aw, man, that's by a group I heard once called Redbird. I just thought it was real pretty, you know, so I learned how to play it, he said. There was more silence, no one wanting to break the veil of the peaceful Revere with words. Finally, Nicole looked around at the group. Well, I hate to be a buzzkill, but we've got another long day of driving ahead of us tomorrow, she said. Everyone began to stretch suddenly remembering how tired they each were. "'I'll take the first watch,' Paul said. Nicole nodded. "'I got second. "'Walt, you, then Sam, yeah?' she said. "'Sure thing, man,' Walt said. Paul climbed up on top of the bus with a rifle and flashlight. Everyone else crawled into sleeping bags around the fire. As Billy scrunched down, Jordan came over and whispered in his ear, "'After my dad goes to sleep,' Meet me behind the office, and we'll make out. Before Billy could answer, she was away to her own sleeping bag. Billy scrunched down into his. All thoughts of sleep, now gone. 29. When he saw him get on the bus and ride away with the others, Dermot Moni thought he had lost his Billy for good. He had vowed to get him back, and had convinced himself he would. Still. There was that part of Dermot that was his own worst enemy, that part of him that berated him, made fun of him, and told him he was, after all, nothing more than a sick, disgusting, pedophile rapist, serial killer, who was not worthy of the love that Dermot Mulney so desired. Dermot thought that voice was pernicious. It egged him on, practically begged him to do the things he did, only to chastise, ridicule, and condemn him, afterwards. It had been a long walk back to his van from the highway where Billy was picked up. Dermot and knew they were headed toward Woodford, and so that is where he would go too. He didn't know how long they would stay there, but he hoped it would be long enough for him to get back to his vehicle and get there before they moved on. By the time Malney was back on the road and into Woodford, it was dark. He cruised the streets and alleys of the city, looking for any sign of the GTO or the bus. Anything to tell him they were still there, that he still had a chance. His heart sank, and the voice was hurting his feelings with a steady barrage of contempt when he drove into the heart of the city and saw signs for Liberty Bell Stadium. As he approached, he saw them. A thousand or more of the dead clamoring around the stadium, most pressed up against the huge glass wall, that formed the entrance. Malny picked up a set of binoculars that were lying in the passenger seat next to him and looked at the stadium. He wondered what had them so agitated until he saw the GTO and the old bus through the glass. He lowered the binoculars. This was bad. He was so close to the object of his desire. Malny thought that there was nothing he could do. Even if he could rescue his billy from the stadium... The others would not turn Billy over to Mulney the molester, or so the voice told him. Mulny looked around the city and saw a tall parking garage near the stadium. He turned the wheel and headed for it. Mulny parked the van on the top level, at a place that let him see the stadium. His thoughts swirled in panic. You'll never figure this out. You're too stupid and slow. You're Derm the Worm, a useless— Mulny tried to calm himself down. One thing at a time, Derm, we'll figure this out, another voice said, a voice that wasn't nearly as mean. For two days he sat up on that parking garage and watched the dead clamor around the stadium. He was jealous and resentful of the dead. He was sure his billy was in there, and the dead closest to the glass probably got to see him every day. It wasn't fair, he told himself. They didn't love him the way he did molney was asleep in the driver's seat, his mouth open, a ragged snore disturbing the silence of the van. The sound of the engines and spinning tires awoke him, and he sat up with a jolt. For a second he did not know where he was, until he looked down at the stadium. What he saw brought a smile to his face. He watched as the glass door on the stadium rose and the GTO came shooting out. He stared, as first it, then the bus, lost traction in the wet remains of the dead. He thought any minute the dead would be on them, and it made him cry for his billy, that the dead would have his billy instead of him. His mouth dropped in shock as a new man, one he had not seen before, jumped on the back of the bus, lowering the rear of it just enough for the tires to grab. He continued to watch as the bus and car made it to safety, as the mammoth glass door finally closed. He watched as the group celebrated in an embrace, and then walked across the street to the all As they emerged from the Almart and loaded their vehicles, Mulney told the mean voice to go screw itself, then pounded the steering wheel in excitement. When the GTO and the bus drove out of town, Dermot Mulney watched it go.